This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. My name's Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, in just a, a few minutes, you get to meet uh, one of my friends. But I, I need to tell you how I met him and explain how he got here. Uh, a few years ago, when we were getting ready to launch Vortex, uh, along the way, we did training with other pastors that were launching churches in other parts of the country. And I met Carrie Weaver when we were both launching a church on the same day one hour apart, so we got uh, like an hour jump on you over there in Jonesboro, Arkansas, which is where Carrie has been for the last three and a half years. And they've done well. They've reached people. They've grown the church. But earlier this year, Carrie sent me a text message and it said, hey, I I feel like God's changing some things. I I feel like there's going to be a change and and God's going to call me to do something a little different than what we're doing. And it wasn't too long after that, that he texted me and said, hey, I feel like God's called us to come to Albemarle and help you. I know that I'm asking basically permission to relocate my family. I'm not asking for you to pay us. I'm, not, I'm just saying, hey, can we, can we move from, from central Arkansas to central North Carolina and just be a part of your church family and help you out? That's an awesome thing. And... We're in the middle of a series called uh, How to Be Rich. And, and one of the things that we've been focusing on is really being generous. And, and there's nothing that is more precious to us than our life, right? So when someone is willing to say, hey, you know what? My family all lives within a drive from where we live, but we're willing to get that up to follow God. We're willing to, to move halfway across the country from our family, give our, our lives to helping Build the kingdom of God through Vortex. There's probably very few people that are as qualified to bring this message to us as Carrie is. So would you welcome to the stage my friend and a pastor that's coming on staff with us in 2016, uh, Carrie Weaver. Better looking, too. Thank you for that uh, intro, Kevin. I was pretty gracious, but um, as I said in the previous service, I wouldn't expect anything less from your pastor. Probably, literally, probably the most gracious man I've ever met. And you guys know because you've been impacted by his his life and uh, those around him. And so I'm glad to be here today. Again, he said my name's Carrie. My wife is Sarah. She's sitting right in here on the second row. And you need to try to get to meet her before you leave um, or that, or you'll regret it if you don't. And so they're going to throw a picture up here. This is my crew that's me on the end, uh, if you didn't, couldn't tell. That's Sarah. And then these are our three. Uh, our oldest is Jackson. He's going to turn eight in about a month. Millie turned six last Monday. And on the end, that's, that's Junior, but we call him Will because that's actually my first name. That's Will on the end, and he just turned three in July. And that's when you get to meet them, they're a force in their own right, those three. And um, I just know this, like church is family to them. So when they get here, they're going to assume all of y'all are relatives. So I hope that works for you. 
Like they'll ask you for money. It's just it's gonna be awkward, but but you're generous. I know you'll you'll pull out a buck or something. So anyway, um, it's a privilege for me to get to preach in the middle of a series that you guys are already in. I love this series, How to Be Rich, and I hope that you haven't missed these messages. If you have, go to the website and check them out. Um, today I want to kind of give you the key to feeling rich. How would that be good? Would that be good? Yeah, yeah. We all want to feel rich, and so if you're a note taker. Uh, when they gave you your handouts and stuff when you came in, grab that because you're going to have some blanks to fill in. But, you know, for most of us, being rich, it's not necessarily like a number that we get to. There's not like a magic line that we cross and suddenly we're rich. It's not like one day you're poor and then someone gives you a $5 bill and suddenly you get you over the line to now, you, oh, finally, I was $5 away and you helped me out. Now I'm rich. Now, for some of you, if I gave you five bucks, you'd, you'd feel a little richer, right? So... But that's not how it works. It's not, it's not that way. It's not a number we get to or a line we cross. It's a feeling. And you can actually be rich but not feel rich. That's in your own eyes. You don't feel rich. And every rich person I've ever known didn't really feel rich. And they actually didn't think they were rich. And if you listen to them talk, you would think they didn't have any money at all. Y'all know people like that? Like they pour mouth everything. You're like, I know what you got. You, you're not poor. But you can be that way, and you can actually feel rich without being rich in other people's eyes. Like, you can feel rich, but other people look at you, and they don't think you have anything going on. And so it's, it's a feeling. And I think about the first time that I felt rich would have been when I had my first job. It was a summer job. I was 15 years old, and I was painting apartments in a retirement center when, when people would move out. I would go in and touch up paint and, and do that sort of thing. And I remember my first day there, my manager handed me a paintbrush and a bucket of paint, and he was like, you know, go to it. And he didn't teach me anything. I should have figured it out on my own. But I remember getting that first paycheck. At 15, I don't know about you, but at 15, I didn't have any bills. But I had money now. And I felt rich. Okay? Because I, I had money. And probably the next time I felt rich would have been right out of college, first full-time job. I was in ministry. I was a full-time youth pastor. And I remember specifically how much I was paid. It was $16,640 a year. And I felt rich. I remember thinking, $16,000. What am I going to do with all that? And I was engaged, and so I figured out what I was, I was going to get married, and I haven't felt rich since. Like, I don't have any money anymore. Um, and so, but I felt rich. But the thing about it was, is that um, the reason why I felt rich is because I had more money than I had bills and requirements and obligations and things like that. So if you're a note taker, like you're going to want to fill in these blanks. The first one I want to give you is this. And I, th you could think after this I'm done, but the key to feeling rich is margin. Say, Carrie, that sounds like the whole message. You just told me how to feel rich, and now you, I can, cannot go. No, you can't go yet. If you're at the second service, we know you're not in any rush. You're willing to be here all day. But margin is the space between what you have and what you need or what you want. So once you get what you want or get what you need, it's the space that's left. It's, it's, it's what's there. It's that margin. And the key to feeling rich is having that margin. Now, I know last week Pastor Kevin talked about how when we accumulate more things, as we get wealthier, our hope tends to migrate from hoping in God to hoping in those things. And we start to close our hands around those things, and we, and we kind of cling to them, and we want to hoard them. And our hope kind of migrates. It moves there. But oftentimes, most of the time, later in life, when we realize that this stuff's fleeting and maybe it happens sooner when you realize it doesn't satisfy, but 
at the end of life, your hope is going to go back to God. So why not hope in God to start with? And the verse that he used and been using in the series, 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6, verse 17 says this. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. We don't want to be that. Nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So don't put your hope in the provision. Put it in the one who provides. That just makes sense. The one who gives us everything we need. We don't hope in the stuff that we have. We hope in the one who gives it to us. So why not start now? But one of the things I want to do today is I want to help you give the answer. How do you keep your hope from going from the stuff you have, or excuse me, from God to the stuff you have? How do you keep that from happening? Or if it already has, how do you get back? What what do I have to do in my life to keep my hope in God and not in my stuff? And I think the key is feeling rich. So I want to kind of tell you how to do that. Um, Paul shows us this. In verse 17, we just looked at, don't hope in wealth, but hope in God. But then he gives us some practical stuff. Look at verse 18. It says, command them to do good. So he says, command those who are rich in this present world, don't be arrogant, don't hope in your wealth, hope in God. And then he says this further, command them to do good. Then he says, to be rich in good deeds. He's showing us that there's like two levels of doing good. There is like the average, ordinary, run-of-the-mill doing good. That's like the, the good that all of us are we're all expected to be generally good people, right? But he says, don't just be good, be rich in your good deeds. Be over the top in the way. This is above average do-goodery. This is like the stuff people look at and they go, wow, look at the way he does good. He says, command them to do that. Because you got to know this, and this is the second point. The wealthier that you become, the wealthier you are, the more opportunities you have to do good. Would you guys agree with that? Would you all agree that as you get more you have more opportunities. Truthfully, as we get more money, oftentimes it also produces more time in our life. So as we have more, we have more opportunities to do good. That more we're talking about, most of us call extra. It's extra time or free time. It's extra money or uh, mad money, right? It's the money you don't have. You can do whatever you want to do with it. It's, it's the extra. But do you know what we normally do when we have extra? We waste it. That's what we normally do with extra. And there's a couple of ways that you can waste it. You can waste it by just consuming it. That's like when I go out to eat with my wife and we both order a steak and I order my massive one and she orders her dainty one and she only eats half of it. And then I look across and I go, I don't want to waste that. So what do I do? I consume it. And somehow in my mind, I think that's not wasting it. But it is wasting it, right? Because why? I didn't need it. It was, so a lot of times if we have extra time, if we have extra money, we just consume it. We just consume it. But there's another way that you can waste it. You can kill it. That's what you do when you have extra time, right? What are you doing? Oh, just killing time. Why in the world would we want to kill time? We're given a limited amount of it. And if you have some that you can do whatever you want with, we, we kill it. We go home. We get in our jammies. We turn on Netflix. We watch a whole season of a show. Some of you are going, can't wait to get home. I had to pause it before I left. It's waiting on me there. I need to know what happens with the Gilmore Girls. It, it was canceled decades ago. Move on, you know. That's what we do. We, we waste it. So you can waste it by consuming it, more for me, or you can waste it by just killing it, throwing it away. And that's what we normally, in America, that's what we normally do. On average, they say that the average American wastes over 16% of their disposable 
income. That's the income that's not already obligated. We waste it. That's what we do. And in America, we have extra time. Now, some of you in here, you're really busy and, and work requires a lot of you. But for most of us in here and in America, we only work five days out of the week. And we're able in five days to earn enough to provide for our family for seven days. Do you know what that, those other two days are? Extra. In some of us, it goes even further. Because we are so wealthy that in our house, only one of the adults works and is able to provide. How blessed are we? That is amazing. But you know what that shows? We have more opportunities to do good. We do. We have extra. But we have a tendency to waste the extra. And so he says, command them to do good, but not just the average, to be rich in good deeds. What does that look like? What does it look like to be rich, to be over the top? That means you use your extra. But he doesn't stop there, actually, in that verse. The, the next part says this, not only to be rich in good deeds, it says, and to be generous and willing to share. Now he's talking about money. Now, if I talk about your time, a lot of you guys are you're on board with me. You're right. I need to use my time better. And then we start talking about money, and you go, you don't, that's none of your business. Like, you don't know how it is at my house. I'm strapped. I'm hardly getting by. I, I'm not working five. I'm working six. I'm sometimes working seven. But he says this, to be generous and willing to share. And you may say, Carrie, aren't all rich people generous? I see their names on the hospital buildings. Those guys are generous, right? Well, no, not really. Because usually rich people give larger amounts but they give smaller percentages they give larger amounts but they give smaller percentages and this is another thing you gotta know write this down jesus teaches us that god's not impressed with amounts he's not impressed with the amounts we give but with the percentages let me show you how he, how he showed us that in mark chapter 12 there's this story and jesus is in the temple and he is doing what no one should do. He is watching as people put their gifts in. That's their offering. Now, they didn't pass buckets, but they had boxes by the door. And Jesus is watching to see how much each person puts in. Now, we would all go, that's a no-no, right? It's none of your business. I, I, you know, I tuck it in the envelope. I seal it. No one knows what I give. You know, I fold the bills multiple times, so you can't tell if it's 100 or a 10, you know? Like, none of your business. But Jesus is watching. And he's going, uh-huh, oh, oh, really? Yes, yes, and here's what it says. It says this in verse 41 and 42. Many rich people, rich, threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. These copper coins were the smallest form of currency that was in circulation. This would be like pennies for us. So some guys are coming in, they're putting in large amounts. She drops in two cents. And Jesus says this in verse 43, calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. Now, some of you are very practical, you're math people, and you go, no, not really. They put in a lot more than she did. No, they didn't. She put in more than the guy who gave 1,000. She put in more than the guy who gave 10,000. She put in more than the guy who has his name on the building. She put in more. That's what she did because amounts don't move God. They don't. He's not impressed with them. Percentages do. 
That's why poor people almost always give more. They give higher percentages of what they have. Because they're not clinging to the little bit they have thinking that it will save them. They know there's no hope in that. So why not give it? They have nothing to lose. So here's what he says in verse 44. He says, the rich people, they gave out of their wealth, or in some translations, they gave out of their surplus, their extra, their leftovers. But she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Now, I, again, I wasn't really that, that, I wasn't great at math, but I know this. All is 100%. That's a big giver. If you give 100%, and that's what moved Jesus. He didn't call him over to say, look at that guy who just dropped in 10 grand. He said, wow, guys, 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 you see how much she gave? And some of them are thinking, yeah, it's pitiful. Like she should have just kept that for herself. Some of us would think that. Oh, no, no, you shouldn't have even given that. You need that. You need that to support your family. Could she support her family with two cents? No, it says it's all she had to live on, but she knew there was no hope there. She, she gave it all because she hoped in something bigger than her. And what Jesus is teaching in this passage and what Paul's teaching Timothy so that Timothy can turn around and teach the church and now it can be turned around and taught to us is that rich people should give larger sums, but they should be based on larger percentages because that's what moves the heart of God. They should be based on larger percentages but a lot of us we don't think about percentages even though every single one of us in here are living on a percentage of what we make all of us are but we probably aren't thinking about it there are a few exceptions some of you you're going above and beyond in this but most of us we don't think about the percentages we don't we're just we happen to be living some of you it takes a hundred percent of what you make to get by i'm living paycheck to paycheck and i'm hoping that that bill doesn't come due before that paycheck comes in any, any witnesses on that? I've been there. None of, okay, a couple. Hang on. The rest of y'all lying. It's all right. We don't think about them. We think about amounts. Well, I put in a 20. I give this much every week. But we don't think about the percentages. Well, what if we consider the fact that God doesn't care about our amounts? He's not impressed by them. He looks at the percentages. That's what he's looking at. But most of us... We don't think about it this way. We give, instead of giving that way, we give emotionally and spontaneously. When something moves us emotionally in a moment, we give. Emotional, spontaneous. You guys ever done that? Let me give you an example. You're at home, you're, you're watching TV, you're flipping channels, and all of a sudden it stops and you hear this sad music. And there's some, really, there's some sad puppy dogs on screen. And then you hear Sarah McLaughlin start in. I will remember you. And you go, take my money. Like as soon as I started singing that and you all heard that, some of you started reaching for your wallet. You just couldn't help it. Just make it stop. Make the, make the sad puppies go away. Emotional, spontaneous. And you feel awesome when you do that, don't you? Because you soothe the emotion. Oh, the, the puppies are happy now. It could, the same thing can happen here at church. There's some special need. And you're like, ooh, I'm going to give to that. So you reach into your wallet in the moment because you're moved and you pull out all of what's there. Part of, it doesn't matter, really, because you're not thinking in percentages. You're thinking emotionally and spontaneously. And you reach in and you give. And you go, man, I feel generous. 
quick what I just did. But the only way to reverse the trend of giving emotionally and spontaneously, that being the primary way, is to predecide. You want to be rich in good deeds, you've got to predecide. You want to be generous, willing to share, you've got to decide in advance what you're going to do. Because if you don't, you're going to give out of the leftovers. You're going to be like those other wealthy people who he said they gave out of their wealth. They gave out of their extra, their surplus. They didn't even feel it. When they dropped in that 10 grand, they didn't even feel it. It's a drop in the bucket. The only way is to pre-decide. You've got to give it first because if you don't, you're going to feel generous without being generous because you gave emotionally, gave spontaneously. But God isn't impressed with that. I love this. In Isaiah 32, 8, it says this. Generous people plan to do what is generous, and then they, what do they do? They stand firm in their generosity. It, so it teaches you right there. You want to be a generous person? You got to do what? Plan. Decide in advance. Pick a percentage. That's the only way. It also teaches you what happens on the opposite of that. What happens if you don't plan to be generous? You won't be. You'll be the kind of person that when you give, like at church, for instance, and at the end of the year, you're going to get a statement of how much you gave. You're going to look at that and you're going to go, I could have sworn I gave more than that. And you felt generous all year long. That's what happens to us. I said earlier that the key to feeling rich is margin. Imagine how it would feel with me, just for a minute. Imagine how it would feel to have some margin in your life. Some margin in your time some margin with your money. Imagine what you could do. Imagine if you had time available that you could use to go above and beyond in the way you serve. Imagine if you had margin in your life, what you could do. That'd feel great. That would feel awesome, but you got to know this. Pre-deciding the percentage that you're going to give, save, and live on it's the only way. It's the key to having that margin. If margin is the key to feeling rich, predeciding the percentage you're going to live, save, and give is the key to having that margin. That's how you get it. But you got to know this. You can decide all the percentages you want. But if this isn't something that's a result of um, your heart, Number one, you won't stick with it because you can't fake generosity. Not real generosity. You can fake the kind where you look generous, but the real one where you actually are generous, you can't fake that. It comes from a heart. It comes from a heart that's turned toward God. It's the only way. But even if you, if you don't stick with it, even if you do stick with it, you'll become bitter with it. You'll give out of obligation. You'll, that'll, that'll be your motivation. And, and the Bible tells us that God loves a cheerful giver. Not somebody who's just doing it to keep God off their back. I know this because in Matthew 25, Jesus tells a story. He tells a story about three servants. And their master's going away, and before he goes away, he entrusts to each of them what they refer to as a talent. This is called the parable of the talents. You may have read this or heard this story before. So he gives each of them a sum of money. They're called talents. To the first one, he gives five talents. To the second one, he gives two talents. And to the third one, he gives one talent. And he says, hey, use this. And it tells us in that story that the one who was given five immediately goes out and begins to use it and work with it and invest it to double it. 
The guy who was given two, immediately, it says immediately he goes out and begins to work with it and invest it and trade with it, and he doubles it. But then it says the guy who was given one takes it back to his house, digs a hole, and buries it. And when the master comes back, they bring in what they've made with what he's given them. The first one says, you gave me five, I bring you ten. You doubled it. He looks at him and says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. The next one comes in. He was given two. He brings back double. And he looks at him and says the same thing. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'll set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. But the last one comes and he says, when you gave me this one, I was fearful. I knew that you were cruel as a master and unfair. So I hid it so I wouldn't lose it. And now I'm just bringing you back what I gave you. And it says that the master looks at him and says that he is a wicked servant. Here's what you got to know. Why was the master pleased with the first two and not with the third? Was it because of the amount they produced? Yes, but only because they produced that amount because it came from their desire of their heart. The first two loved and trusted the master, so they worked hard for him. But the third one was scared of him. He didn't trust the plan of the master, so he hid it. He didn't use it well. You see, it's not the amount that you have that makes you rich. It's how you use what you've been given. I think it's interesting that for the first two, he said both of them were faithful. He said both of them were faithful over a little. Now, you may say, well, one of them had more than the other, but they were both considered little because the amounts are always going to be little to a God who has everything. He's not impressed with the wealthiest among us because he's looking at our hearts. And the first two had hearts turned toward the master, and the last one was turned against. That's why he was wicked. This is a story about Jesus. He is that master. He's the master that's worth trusting. You can trust his plan so you can use what he's given you in a way that's faithful. Honestly, the way we use what he gives us in our time, the way we use the money that he's given us, our possessions, it reveals how we see Jesus. Because if we trust him, then we'll use it well. And Jesus is showing us something else in this story. This is the path to his joy. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. Been faithful over a little, I'll give you much. Then he says, I love this last line. Enter into the joy of your master. Enter into my joy. That's the same invitation that God gives to you and me. He invites us into his joy. And God knows that because we come from the dust of the earth, that we're always going to have a tendency to cling to the stuff of this life. We're going to have a tendency to cling to, to the stuff of this earth. We're going to. But he calls us to something greater. He calls us to his joy. You got to know this. Whenever Jesus talks about money, whenever Paul teaching Timothy about money, whenever we talk about money, it's not because we want more from you. It's not because we want anything from you. It's because we want something for you. We want you to have this life of joy. You're going to feel rich 
in that kind of life. That wicked servant, he said, I'll take away from you and I'll give it to one of the others. Because you didn't use it well. Jesus is a faithful master. He wants to welcome us into his joy, so he shows us this way. And when we trust him, when our heart is turned toward him, we're going to serve. We're going to be rich in good deeds. This above average do-goodery. Over the top. And people go, wow. We're going to give intentionally and sacrificially. That's the opposite of emotional and spontaneous is intentional and sacrificial. You're pre-deciding, I'm going to live on this percentage. I'm going to give this percentage. I'm going to save this percentage. You're deciding it's intentional and it's sacrificial. You're going to bring it all. You're going to bring it all. And this kind of giving, this kind of living, it's just the natural response of a heart that's turned toward Jesus. You actually can't help it. And, And you guys know this at your core you do. Because the people you love the most, you'll do anything to please them. You'll do what they want. Your heart is turned toward them. And that's what happens when our hearts turn toward Jesus. So if we want to be the kind of people who feel rich, we're going to be people who decide in advance that we're going to use the time and the money that God has given us in a way that's faithful to him. That's what we're going to do. And the only way we can do that is to give it first. It's the only way to give the first part of my time, to give the first part of my money. It's the only way. And I just love God so much because he modeled this for us. His word says that while we were still sinners, hearts turned against him, that he gave Jesus. Like he loved us first. He sent Jesus to die for me a couple thousand years before I was ever born. Before I would ever give my heart to him. He loved me anyway. He gave first. He modeled this for us. That's the kind of God that's worth trusting. So let me ask you today. Are you the kind of person whose heart is turned toward God? So that you trust his plan? So you use your time and your money and everything you've got in a way that's faithful? Or are you kind of clinging to some of it? Let's, let's respond to God as we pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his sacrificial love for us. God, you held nothing back. Your love was intentional. You looked down. You saw us lost in our sin. And your word says that at just the right moment, when all hope was lost, Jesus entered this world. And he loved us with a perfect love, a sacrificial love where he would lay down his life for us. You may be in the room right now, heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody's looking around, but you may be in the room right now, and you've never truly considered, maybe, fully understood, grasped that kind of love that would love you even though you were imperfect and far from him. And maybe today is the day that you just tell God, say, God, I want to give you my life because I know you can be trusted with it. God, you know better than I do what to do with me. You made me. You created me with a purpose. So, God, I want to live for you. So today you would just cry out to God. Say, God, I admit I'm a sinner, but I believe that Jesus Christ is the way for new life. God, I give you my life. Thank you for giving me new life.
Maybe that's you today. Maybe you're in the room and you would say, Carrie, I'm a believer, but I haven't been rich in good deeds. I felt generous, but I haven't really been generous. I haven't been intentional. Carrie, I don't know if if Jesus, if I were to stand before him right now, could, could he say good and faithful servant? I've been faithful over what he's given me. And today you would say, I'm going to be that kind of giver. I'm going to be that kind of liver. I'm going to love people that way. I'm going to be rich in good deeds. I'm going to be generous with what he's given. If that's you, just respond to Jesus today. Father, we love you. I pray right now you give us the courage and the conviction to respond in the way you're speaking to our hearts. God, I know there's nothing clever I can say that can ever change anybody. But your love redeems us. It gives us new life. It gives us path to your joy and i thank you for those that are turning to you today in jesus name amen thanks for listening this podcast has been a production of vortex church in albemarle north carolina for more information on our church we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com